Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Sunday School Hour here at Faith Baptist Church. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 17. Did anybody notice that we skipped a few chapters? Yes. Okay. The reason for that is because it's a lot of more the same of what we've read. Uh, one evil king after another doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, the Lord punishing them, going back and forth. There are a few interesting stories in there we didn't quite cover, but we're uh, telling the narrative of the scriptures. We want you to get familiar with this portion of the Bible. And I feel like we've covered this pretty well. Uh, not as though these aren't important chapters, but maybe give you something if you're looking to read something in the Bible this week. Those few chapters would be a good thing to dig into. There's some interesting stories in there. But for our purpose, we're jumping to chapter 17 because that's where the next sort of major event takes place. Um, so we see 2 Kings 17. The title is, once again, kind of a spoiler. It's The End of Israel. Yeah, it's the end of Israel. It's the end of Israel as we know it. And I feel <laughs> Oh, sorry. Hang on. Hang on. I got it. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah. Just you. There's nobody it's else. Just alive. you, though. <laughs> Make Joshua feel better. Of course, you know what they do. Oh, no. What happened? Oh, did your app crash? There it is. Of course, you know... That's funny. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> you, you gotta roll the punches sometimes, Josh. You know what they say. What? Hakuna Matata! Yeah. It means no worries. Huh. Yeah. For it. Right. Yeah. Right. You know better about it now, don't you? you? <laughs> Josh put that one on there, so. But it really is, it's the end of Israel as a, as a, a government, as a kingdom, as a nation. And we're going to start in verse 1. And it says in verse 1, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hoshea. Now, these are names we haven't talked about, so don't worry about memorizing them, except for the Cahoots game in a couple weeks. Uh, Hoshea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. I know, man, that that's was a name. that's a name and a half. The audacity of that guy having so much name. It's a lot of name. And Hoshea became his servant and gave him presents. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers uh, to So, king of Egypt. That name So, that's not part of the sentence. That's the king of Egypt's name. His name was So. Yeah. And brought no present to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. And the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Assyria, took... Uh, in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria 
and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala, in the harbor by the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. So that's number one this morning, which is the defeat of surrender. And that's what we're talking about firstly, is the defeat of surrender. Right? Because some defeats are self-inflicted. Right? Uh, anybody who's gotten frustrated while you're playing a game can tell you that sometimes you're your own worst enemy. You might have a good strategy going and just hit a patch of bad luck, but if you had kept your head on straight and kept playing your strategy, you might have had a chance to win. But what happens sometimes is you're playing a game, you start to lose, you get frustrated, and you're like, forget it. And you throw your whole strategy down the drain just because you just want to lose and start over. That's what we get in life sometimes. Sometimes in life we get so frustrated we just kind of give up, right? We just tried so hard for so long and all these things and nothing ever happens. And you know what? Just forget it. I give up. I'm just done. When the same thing's true. If we'd have just stayed faithful and kept at doing what we were doing, we might have had victory in the long run. The Lord plays the long game. We, we play the short game. We want it. We want it today. Maybe tomorrow. We'll be generous and give God tomorrow. But we want the short game. God plays the long game. That's what we got to remember. The king of Israel here in chapter 17 did not play the long game. And he just gave up. Uh, a couple of things to make note of. It said in verse 2, He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. We've read that a thousand times. What we haven't read though, it says, But not as the kings of Israel that were before him. So his evil was terrible, and it was incredible. It was amazing evil, but not in the same way that Ahab's evil was, because his evil was very aggressive. You know, he hurt a lot of people, him and Jezebel hurt a lot of people with their evil and selfishness, and we talked about that. This kind of evil is a passive evil. It's personal toward him. It's not anything he went out, he didn't go hire priests for his own religion. You know, he didn't go out and start looking to cause trouble for the Lord or cause trouble for anybody specifically. His evil was passive. And the danger in that sort of a thing is to think that it's less efficient in causing harm. Right? You think, because I'm not out there looking to hurt somebody, I'm not out there looking to harm somebody, I'm just keeping it to myself, that it doesn't cause as much harm. But we see here, his evil caused more harm for Israel than any other king before him. His evil will eventually cause the end of the nation of Israel. Ahab didn't even do that. Ahab, he was a wicked king. But he was a king that did his job. Hoshea here, he didn't, uh, he didn't do his job. It was an evil that was completely inward and selfish and passive. And it was what caused his defeat. His evil caused him to be passive and it led to a defeat of surrender. That's what selfishness, that's what sin does to you. It makes you passive towards the things of God. If you're involved in something you know you really shouldn't be, it makes you feel sort of neutral or even negative toward God, toward His Word. 
if you're in a place in life where uh, you're doing some things, you're involved in sin that you shouldn't be, then you're not going to be real keen on reading your Bible or praying or even going to church. You're not going to want to be around those things. And it begins a downward spiral like it did with Hoshea. It leads to the defeat of surrender. Continuing on, we see in verse 3, uh, against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. Uh, so the king of Assyria is coming up and waging war against Israel. So what's Hoshea's big plan? His strategy for victory over Assyria, Hoshea became his servant and gave him presents. We remember a while back, there was a certain king who was tasked with eliminating somebody. An opposing ruler, somebody God sent to him to go and destroy. But they begged and pleaded for their life, and this particular king chose to spare that person. And God punished them for it. Is this ringing any bells? Climbed up into his chariot and so forth. Kind of sounding familiar? Well, we talked about during that lesson that his problem was that he was a weak leader. And that God wants his leaders to be strong leaders. That doesn't mean they have to be overbearing and barking orders. But it means that when a leader decides this is the best course of action for us, that's what they do. You know, in the military, especially in the Navy, you know, I've known a couple of Navy men in my life. And the one thing that, that marks a skipper or a captain is that they're supposed to always know what to do. That's what marks that kind of a leader. When you go to the skipper, when you go to the captain of the boat, he knows what to do. He's got orders for people. He knows what the course of action is. And even if people disagree with him, he's got to stick to his guns because the people need to know that their leader knows what to do. If you're following a leader that doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing, you're not going to follow that leader for very long. God wants his leaders to be strong leaders, confident that they're following the will of the Lord. Decide to follow Jesus. Though no one join me, still will follow him. We follow our leaders as they follow Christ. The problem with this king that we talked about before was he was a weak-willed leader. He was swayed back and forth, always changing his mind. Always, I'm going to punish you. No, no, wait, I'm not. You know, now I am. And no, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, as a king, that's not a real great uh, attitude to have. And so God punished him for it. We see that same flaw in Hoshea here. He's a weak-willed king. The king of Assyria gets right in his face, gets in his backyard, tells him, I'm going to destroy everything you love and care about. Your home is mine now. And he rolls over and plays dead for him. Becomes his servant. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Here's a present. Thank you so much for kicking my rear end. This is not God's will. Now Jesus said in the New Testament, if any man smite you on the cheek, turn unto him the other also. That's to indicate that we're not to solve our problems as Christians with violence. We're to use our words, use our prayers, use our faith. That did not mean that Jesus wants us to come across as weak. 
because there is a way to, to show strength without necessarily showing violence. There is a way for you to come off as strong without using your fists. We ought to be strong. We ought to have strong character. When you find the will of the Lord, you ought to hold to it and follow it. The defeat of surrender, this is all a part of it. We roll over and play dead and give up for people because we think they're stronger than us or bigger than us or fatter than us. Then we're weak-willed people, weak-willed leaders. That's what happened to Israel. Remember at Kadesh Barnea? At Kadesh Barnea, they came to the crossing point. That was where they were going to come out of the wilderness to the Jordan River and cross the Jordan River and conquer the promised land. You imagine how different Israel's story would be today if Moses had been the one to conquer the promised land instead of Joshua. An entire generation of Israelites that would have been in the land instead of having to die off in the wilderness. How different things might have turned out. But they chose to be afraid of the giants more than they trusted the Lord at Kadesh Barnea. And that's what Hoshea did here. He was more afraid of Assyria than he was faithful to the Lord, if he even knew the Lord. It was a defeat of surrender. He didn't even try to fight. He just gave up. That's where the devil wants us to live, in a place of mental surrender. He wants you feeling like there's no point in trying anymore. Just give up. That's where he wants you. Because if he can get us there, then he's already won. Don't allow yourself the defeat of surrender. If we're going to go down, we better go down swinging. Put up a fight for as long as we can. Don't give in to the despair and the defeat of the devil. then verse 4 and 5 tell us about a conspiracy that the king of Assyria found in Hoshea because Hoshea was trying to make friendly with Egypt. Trying to make so his friend because he was too weak to defend his own country and he's trying to talk Egypt into defending his country for him. More weakness. More the same. And then Assyria finds out about it and they go take the king sitting upon his throne, march right into his throne room and lead him captive to Assyria where he sits in a prison. Because it's a defeat of surrender. He didn't even try to put up a fight. Remember in the life of David when his son marched upon his throne. What was David's great mistake? You may remember? He fled. He fled. He didn't even try to defend the throne. He didn't even try to defend the kingdom or the will of the Lord. He was unwilling to raise up arms against his own child. So he fled. The only problem was his child decided to defy the will of God and attack his own father who was king and tried to take his kingdom from him. 
And being a parent, I understand the love you have for your child, but any Christian parent ought to have a greater love for the Lord. That's not to say that your love for your child should be less. It's to say that your love for the Lord should be more. And though it was the hardest thing God ever asked any parent to do, just ask Abraham, we ought to be willing to put the Lord first. And he fled. He didn't even put up a fight, and it caused Israel a lot of terrible things for a lot of years. And the same thing here. Didn't even put up a fight. Didn't even try to resist being imprisoned as the king. That is all because he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what sin does to you. It doesn't build you up. It doesn't make you feel better. It robs you. It robs you of all the most precious things you have as a Christian. It robs your happiness. It robs your peace. That thing inside of you that makes you feel like, you know, even though things aren't going the best, it's going to be okay. Sin robs you of that. Sin robs you of your, your, your ability or your, that's what I'm looking for, your spiritual energy for prayer and scripture, which encourages you. It's what sin does. It robs us of all these things that we need to succeed spiritually. And it causes us a defeat of surrender. And then we see, secondly, it's the defeat of neglect. So not necessarily just personal surrender, but the defeat of neglect entirely in verse up. Excuse me, verse 7. It says, For it was... For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities. From the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. So this wasn't just something they had in one or two of the major cities. These groves and these idols, they had taken over the entire land. Every city was filled with groves and with statues of false idols. And they burnt incense in all the high places. That's a, a thing you did in other religions for other pagan gods at that day and time. That's why they mention it. As did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols whereof the Lord had said unto them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets. So it's during this time the lot of those minor prophets are taking place. If you've been following along on Wednesday nights, you'll know of two specific minor prophets that we mentioned that were prophesying during the events of the book of Ezra. For bonus points, who can name one of them? Ezra. No. You know, I, you had to try. 
Ruth? Yeah, the prophet Ruth. No, Nehemiah is not a prophet. One of the minor prophets. That's not one of the minor prophets. Apparently we don't know the minor prophets. Hosea, Joel. Okay, yeah, the minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zephaniah, um, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. I'm going to go with Obadiah, final no. answer. It was uh, Zechariah. Nobody remembers? Okay, that's just not important. But those two prophesied during that time, and most of the rest of them were prophesying during this time we're talking about right now. The prophets of God, and they're warning Israel in these final days to repent and come back to God before God sends Assyria to end Israel. They're trying and pleading. God is pleading with them to turn back, and they didn't. Uh, verse 14, Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks, like to the neck of their fathers, that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected His statutes, and His covenants that He made with their fathers, and His testimonies, which He testified against them. And they followed vanity, and became vain, and went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters, this is truly disgusting, to pass through the fire, and use divination and enchantments, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the, but the tribe of Judah only. The defeat of neglect. This is what neglect gets you because we have a tendency to think that neglect sort of leaves us in neutral. Right? I'm not necessarily tending to the things I should be tending to, but it's not as though I'm doing some sort of a horrible thing either. I'm just kind of in neutral, just sitting here. No, that's not the way it works. If we're not for the Lord, then we're sliding against the Lord. You don't have to necessarily be an atheist and preach against the Bible and, and decide that you don't like religion to slide against the Lord. All you have to do is neglect Him in your life. Because that's how it starts off. Well, we're scared in the politics, so we'll create a golden calf. But probably nobody will worship it. And then there's a second golden calf. And then there's idols. And then there's groves. And we're worshiping this, and we've forgotten who God is. They lost His name. They lost his word. They lost the concept of his existence. God nearly ceased to exist in all of Israel. It was a dark time. We've read throughout scripture of times where 
uh, a new young king would take the throne and he would try to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord and he'd try to clean up the temple. You remember this story? And they come into the temple and they found this old dusty book. These old dusty scrolls. And they unrolled them and they began to read them. And they would say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the king sat down and began to read those and discovered this amazing new truth. And that's how far they had gotten from the Lord. How? By neglect. By simply neglecting the things they should have been doing all along. I want to look at a few of these things real quick this morning. Verse 7 said that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. And what was their sin? Well, verse 8 tells us they walked in the statutes of the heathen. This is one of, uh, uh, this is a defeat of neglect in that they're just trying to get along. They neglected the Lord and they neglected His Word because they're trying to get along with all the people around them. But any sort of compromise that asks you to take something away from what God told you to hang on to is not really a compromise, it's a defeat. And it's one of neglect. They'd say, I'm just trying to get along. I'm just trying to keep peace in the family. I'm just trying to keep my friends. Well, in any of those situations, ask you to compromise what you believe in the Lord. That's not a relationship worth keeping. I'm not saying attack people or throw anybody by the wayside. But if it comes down to a choice between your friend and the Lord, the choice should be pretty clear. They say, well, it's just a little thing. It doesn't matter to God if it's a little thing or if it's a big thing. Because to Him, it's all the same size. Sins don't come in various sizes or degrees to God. They're all the same size to Him. And He wants us to be faithful in that which is least. So then He'll be trusting us to be faithful in that which is most. But we've got to start with the small stuff. We can't be faithful in the small stuff. We're not going to be faithful in the big stuff. The big stuff comes with a lot heavier temptation. That's the stuff that really matters. But if we can't start off with the small stuff, we're not going to be able to make it with the big stuff. It's a defeat of neglect. We neglect the Lord in our life, and this is where it gets us. A few idols here and there, and then they're covering the entire country. So then God sends prophets. right? That's what we read about in verse uh, 13. Prophets, sometimes called seers. If you didn't know, when you see that word seer in the Bible, it's referring to a prophet. <clears throat> and he sent the prophets to warn them that this doom is about to come. Now, I do want to make a, a thing very clear this morning. There'll be a lot of preaching out there that takes place in the books of the prophets. right? In the books of like Isaiah, Jeremiah, the major prophets. Uh, and then there would be a lot of preaching in the Minor Prophets. I've preached in the Minor Prophets. I've preached in the Major Prophets. But there is a thing, an idea that goes around that I want to put to bed. The idea that what they're warning Israel about parallels to us as Christians in America today. right? And you'll hear preachers preach about you know, the doom of Israel's coming because it says so about Israel in the Scriptures in the Minor Prophets or the Major Prophets. 
and that we need to repent or God will destroy America just like he destroyed Israel. It's not going to happen uh, for one major reason, because God does not care about America nearly as much as he cared about Israel. We're another nation to him. We're not his people. He cares about Christians. He cares about the church. He didn't care about us so much to put them in his book. The Bible doesn't even mention America. He punished Israel like this because it was his people. He was their father. A good father punishes his children when they step out of line. America is not a nation of, of uh, God's children. America is a nation that makes up all kinds of different people, all kinds of different religions, all kinds of different beliefs. That's what makes it such a wonderful place to live. But the warnings that these things talk about, these end-of-the-road these, uh, end moments for Israel, they're not national. And we need to understand that. But they are personal. Right? It may not be that America is going to come to an end. But it can be that if we backslide from the Lord personally and don't turn back, there will be punishment for us. Because while God doesn't necessarily care what happens to America any more than he cares about what happens to you know, the United Kingdom or Canada or any place else, he does care about us individually as people. And he cares about what happens to you. And if America is largely made up of Christians, he's going to care about those Christians. But neglect is a defeat. Neglect is a defeat for us personally and us as a church and Christians as a people. And it leads to the idolatry. And idolatry doesn't take the form uh, today that it took in their day and time. And that's kind of what we look for, isn't it? When, when we're talking about idolatry in the Bible, we expect to, to kind of be talking about like a statue you're like praying to. Right? Because that's still a thing that happens. People will have a Buddha statue, right? And they'll pray to the Buddha statue. Or you'll even hear about these like fertility parties where somebody's trying to have a baby and they'll have like a fertility goddess up and that's, that's a thing that happens. They do that. And so that's a thing that still exists. So we kind of assume that's what God's talking about, but he's not. You see, what makes idolatry so really horrible is that it replaces God. That's what makes it so terrible. It's that we, we worship this idol, we pray to this idol, we trust in this idol instead of trusting in God. Instead of. Now here in America, we don't have idolatry in the same form that they did. Our idolatry comes in the form of money. We bow at the altar of the almighty dollar. In money we trust. It's funny because in our money it says in God we trust. Because in our nation's, one of our nation's darkest hours, when we were scared for our lives, we rallied together as a nation and decided we were going to place our faith in God. Added some words to our pledge and added some words to our money to show the world that we trusted in the Lord to give us victory and he did but it's in God we should place our trust and if we learn to trust in anything else instead of God that is idolatry 
There's nothing wrong with trusting in somebody. There's nothing wrong with having some mental or emotional security with having some money put back in the bank. There's nothing wrong with feeling pretty safe about that. The only time it becomes wrong is when you feel safe about that instead of feeling safe about the Lord. Because when rubber meets the road, we need to still trust that God's going to take care of us. That's true idolatry. That's what happened to Israel. That led to their defeat, their downfall, and their destruction. And that's what we need to be careful of this morning. That our own form of idolatry doesn't form up in our minds and take the place of the Lord. It was a defeat of neglect. And it led to this in verse 16, that they left the commandments of the Lord their God. Is that what it says? There in verse 16? No. Nope. Verse 16, and they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. That little three-letter word is very important because they had entirely and completely abandoned God to the fullest extent. They abandoned all the commandments. Now, you guys, there's some good commandments in there. Even if you don't believe in God, there are some pretty good ideas in there. Thou shalt not kill. I think we should keep that one. That sounds like a good idea to me. Thou shalt not covet. Seems like a pretty good idea. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. If you're up in court and your neighbor goes to testify on your behalf, you want him to be a pretty honest person. Call Joe up to the stand. Joe will tell the truth. He'll, he'll help me out. He'll tell you how it is. You want Joe to be an honest person there. Sounds like a good idea to me. There are some things in there about committing adultery. Sounds like a good idea to me. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Honor thy father and thy mother, which the Bible tells us is the first commandment that came with a promise. That if we honor our father and our mother, that our days may be long upon the earth. That seems like a good idea to me. But they threw, as we say, the baby out with the bathwater. They got rid of all of it. And I think that's a bad idea. And I think it depicts something that happens with Christians today. And it's kind of why I started this church. Because there's a lot of Christians out there today that went to a church with a terrible pastor. And that terrible pastor had terrible members in his church. And they were mean, and the pastor was mean, and the pastor let them be mean because they gave a lot of money to the church. They kind of let them have the run of the roost. But those good-intentioned, nice people who just wanted to serve the Lord and get involved in a church or get their kids involved in a church... They got insulted. They were attacked. They were made to feel really, really horrible. Or they were involved for a few years in something and then somebody started paying more money to the pastor and the pastor let them take over and kick you out if they decided they didn't like you. It happens all the time. I promise you there's a lot of people listening to this right now thinking I'm talking about something specifically you're going through and I'm not because it happens to so many people, way too many people. But what happens with that, the feelings being hurt and the pain you feel completely justified, 
But then what we do is we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like Israel, we get rid of the whole thing. And what you need to do is not stop going to church altogether. You don't need to let your Bible start collecting dust on the bookshelf because, well, that idea didn't work. No, the idea that didn't work was that one terrible person. Don't credit a good God with the actions of an evil man who pretends to represent him. We, you need to go to a good church. A church that is interested in the spiritual more than the financial. A church that's not going to be run by the highest tithers. A church of honest and good integrity. It's a rare thing to find, I know, but don't allow these things that happen to us to give the devil a victory. Because it's one thing if the devil wins in them. And it's another thing if we let the devil win in us. The defeat of surrender should not lead us to the defeat of neglect. And then we see thirdly, and finally this morning, is the defeat of separation. Who was it that said, a house divided against itself cannot stand? Anybody know? Winston Churchill. No. Yes. It was Lincoln during the Civil War. Oh, yeah. Yep. He was trying to unite a nation. And he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. But who said it before he did? George Washington. No. 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 God. Jesus. Ah. <laughs> Count that one. Count that one. <laughs> Because Jesus was casting out demons. And one of the Pharisees came by and he says, He's casting out demons by the power of Satan, not by the power of God. And Jesus said, Now, fella, how much sense does that make? <laughs> Satan's casting out Satan. He said, and that's when he said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. And if the house of Satan divided against the house of Satan, it would not stand, it would fall. A house divided against itself cannot stand. There is a defeat in separation. In verse 19, it said, Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of the spoilers until they had cast them out of his sight. For he rent Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. So this is sort of a history lesson for us real quick. And Jeroboam drave Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he said by all his servants the prophets so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day and the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharavim and places and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. 
and they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. They took the people of Israel and took them to Assyria and they filled Israel with men from other nations. Now I would encourage you to go and finish this chapter because it's really interesting. It talks about how they moved into this nation and uh, they didn't follow the laws of the Lord because if you're living in the promised land you have to follow the laws of God. God gets upset and he sends a pack of lions to eat them. Yeah. So they send back word and they're like, hey, we need like a priest or someone down here to tell us what to do because God is killing us with lions. See, and you thought you, you were upset at God because you couldn't pay your bill. You know, your car wouldn't start. You got mad at the Lord. God sent lions after these folks. I'd say he's pretty merciful. But we see the defeat of separation. Because did you notice it before? They're being led out of their homes. They're being led to a strange country to be slaves and servants. Before, their homes were being destroyed and rebuilt by strangers. Before any of this happened, their people being slaughtered, their families being killed before their very eyes. Before any of this happened, we saw a separation, right? Because of the sins of David, which led to the sins of Solomon, which led to the sins of his son, the wise men, remember this story, told him, if you'll just tell them that you'll be a servant to them as king, that you'll love them as king, then they'll be your people forever and they'll love you forever. And he goes out and he says, my little fingers thicker than my father's loins. He made you tortured with whips, I'll make you tortured with scorpions. You thought he was tough, buddy. Yeah, I'm tough. So they took the country from him. And the nation was divided. And that separation is what caused Israel's destruction. That's why they mentioned it. Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. And Christianity today is a house divided. Didn't used to be that way. They used to have, I don't know if you guys ever heard this before, but they used to have revivals that would take place in a city. And there would be this big revival tent, they'd bring out chairs, and they would invite every church in the town to the revival meeting. It didn't matter if they were Baptist, it didn't matter if they were Methodist, it didn't matter if they were whatever they were, Church of Christ, whatever they were, they were all able to come together and they all agreed we're just gonna preach about salvation. We're not going to talk about doctrine. We're not going to talk about what makes our doctrine different than your doctrine. We're just going to talk about Jesus and his salvation. And they would. And each church would bring a couple of their best singing groups together and they'd have a real good time listening to some good bluegrass, southern gospel music, you know. Real good music. And they'd get up there and a red hot fiery preacher would get up there and preach salvation and preach about the Lord and preach about his love for them. It'd be a good meeting. It'd be a good time. By the end of that week, people would be on fire for God. That doesn't happen anymore. And it's simply because a house that's divided against itself can't stand. We're dying. And we're dying because we're so divided and we're divided and we divide from ourselves and we divide from each other and we divide from this division into that division and that division needs to divide over here into this division and it's ridiculous. Men with more degrees on the wall than a thermometer who can't figure out that separation is what's killing them, not what's saving them. 
I can see it. You can see it. I don't know why they can't see it. We need to get back to a place where it's not so much about what divides us, but what unites us. We need to stop focusing on what separates us, but what brings us together. And it's the man who hung on the cross. If we would unite as Christians, because guess what? We're all going to have to share a space in heaven. They're not going to have a special subdivision in heaven for the Baptists and then have another special section for the, the Methodists and then have another special separation for this group over here. It's, it's We're all going to share the same spaces together in heaven. We're going to be together forever. We may as well learn how to get, to get along now. It's a defeat of separation. And as a church and as Christians, we need to learn this lesson, but also as individuals. We need to look into our lives and try our very best to stop looking at what makes you different from other people, what separates you from that group of people you don't like, and find a way to unite with them. If we can do that, we can avoid the defeat that Israel faced. Now, that is the end of Israel. However, Judah is still a country. And we have a few more lessons before we're finished with 2 Kings. And then when we get done with 2 Kings, I'm so excited. We're going to start a new series called Why We Believe What We Believe. We're going to go through each one of the things that this church makes as a statement of faith. And we're going to explain it. And it's going to be a good time. So until uh, we'll be back at about 11 o'clock. So until 11 o'clock. Bye.